Thank you, listeners, for joining me today. I am so pleased to have a longtime friend of mine, Elizabeth Gould, who is going to talk to us about her journeys, her experiences, her birding trips, and all sorts of other stuff. How, you might say, did I ever meet this person? Well, that's a long story. We won't go into all of it. But her dad was a librarian at UC Davis, and I worked at the library in UC Davis, and I met him. And at some point, he said, you would really enjoy my daughter, and she would enjoy you. Well, let me introduce you. And and he did. And we hit it off. And then... Elizabeth started a business called Google's Galloping Gopher Delivery Service, and I don't even remember whether that was the 90s or I think it was someplace in there, maybe the 80s, I don't know. 80s. 80s, yeah. And then she came to me, I had a business called The Organizer, and asked for help and advice about, you know, this and that and running a business. So that's how we first got to working together, was setting up a business with her. Since then, there's been a lot of stuff we've done, but what I'm really excited about is to have her come and talk to us about birds, because she's going to be on my Birding with Lois video, and that's what I'm going to talk about. So, Elizabeth, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lois. I'm so pleased to be here. This is going to be lots of fun. Yes, it is. Oh, So, let's start with how you got into birding in the first place. Now, you grew up in Davis, and so you you lived here through high school, at least. Yes. And and how did the birds get to you? Well, I the first time I ever noticed a bird was one January morning, looking out our back window, and the peach trees that we have in the backyard, of course, were deciduous, so they had no leaves on them. And I saw a flock of birds that had crests on them. I had never seen a crested bird just in the wanderings around uh, Davis. And that was so exciting to see something so, in my mind, in my 15-year-old life experience, something so exotic. And so I, my dad being a reference librarian, he of course had a book to help me. So he pulled out his old Peterson's uh, bird identification guide book. And I started looking through it and I figured out that those were cedar waxwings and that they migrated through and the, the Davis area in the 70s, that's what they, they were migratory birds. Um, and so I, that's when I first saw my first bird that made an impression on me and got me started in the love of looking and trying to identify the birds. And she was hooked. I was hooked, absolutely. Hooked by a cedar waxwing. Yes. <laughs> and cedar waxwings, in addition to having a crest, which, by the way, for listeners who aren't familiar with our terminology, it just means there's pointedness on the top of the head. Yes. <laughs> That's a crest. Um, so what, what was your next, I don't know, excitement, discovery, 
a bird that really grabbed you? The next thing that really grabbed me was um, riding my bicycle in Davis again in in the 70s in an oak tree lined road um, towards the country and noticing lots and lots of big birds that were not crows. They were blue and black and white. And I wanted to find out what they were. And they had a yellow bill. And they were yellow-billed magpies. And when I looked them up, I found out that they only exist in the Central Valley of California. Yeah. And I was living with this bird in my, quote, backyard. (laughs) It was just wonderful and exciting to think that I had seen a bird that many people will never see and that many people would want to travel to our little area in Northern California to actually see in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful bird with that big long tail and it looks like a black and white bird but if you look closely that black is iridescent and so sometimes it'll see seem sort of bluish or you know you know that shimmery oil stuff like an oil slick yeah blues and purples and stuff it's pretty amazing it's very striking very striking yes yeah yeah and i'm sure that folks elsewhere are going magpies we've got magpies yeah but you don't have yellow-billed magpies you've got black-billed magpies or something else yes yes exactly exactly so when you figured out that there were some birds that were only here did it make you wonder about other birds that aren't here or maybe maybe they come and they go anything about migrations or anything I didn't, well, yes, actually, I started to notice the the winter migratory birds, especially the waterfowl. And in Davis, it's very foggy in December, especially January. And we would hear the honking of geese, mm-hmm. but we could never see them. But we would hear mm-hmm. them every night, you know, or, or late afternoon. Um, when it was, but often it was late at night when it was dark, and we'd hear the honking of geese. And another striking experience that I had, and that was in the 80s, um, when I was starting to go on trips with, with organized trips to um, do bird watching. There was a group of university people who went up to the Sacramento Wildlife Refuge, about an hour north of uh, the little town of Davis. And we were actually looking for wanting to see the migratory uh, waterfowl. So we knew that there would be thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of birds at this refuge. Um, So we actually went up there and I remember we had a caravan of cars and I remember uh, driving very slowly once we were in um, the reserve and going, stopping the car, 
because we had all rolled down our windows just to listen, trying to get, because it was completely um, enshrouded with uh, tule fog. So we couldn't see a lot out in the distance over the marshy lands, but we could uh, hear or listen for it. So we had our windows rolled down. And so we stopped the car because we started to hear some honking. And it wasn't a car honking. It was some large bird and we thought geese. And it turned out that no, it wasn't geese. We got out of the car, didn't slam the doors. We didn't want to startle any of the birds. Didn't know how close or far they might be. And it turned out that we saw some heads popping or just above the reeds a little distance off. And it turned out that it was a flock, a large flock of whistling swan. And they ended up taking off silently, no more honking. And all we could hear were the flapping of their wings as they flew over our heads, circled around, and then came back down and landed in the same marshy area that they had come from all in silence. It was just a magical, magical experience to witness. And that that was, I would have hooped and hollered had it not been such a, a, a silent and um, reverential uh, atmosphere. Everybody was just in awe of seeing uh, these whistling swans. And I never imagined I would ever see a whistling swan outside of a park environment or a zoo. Um, I had no idea that I could see a whistling swan in uh, the wild. So, Is that something that's common here? I mean, do they, is it common for us to have whistling swan come through in the winter? Or is was that an unusual event? I believe that that was not unusual at that time. That was in the 80s. I have no idea what migratory patterns species may have now and whether they would stop in that part of Northern California um, or go further south. We have a lot of other areas uh, further south in the, the Central Valley mm -hmm. um, that they might stop at uh, so I'm not sure about the patterns now. Well, we'll have to look that up, huh? <laughs> yes. One of the things that Elizabeth had been talking about is the foggy winters here. The Thule fog, you know, gets sucked in in December and January. And, and that is a former uh, climatic situation. Currently in Davis, up until this year, I had not seen Thule fog for many, many years. And I saw a little bit of it this year, but the conditions have simply changed enough that we don't get very much. Now we get frosts, yeah, but the, the Thule fog where it rises out of the ground and it hovers around, well, around the top of the level of your car, which means if you're in a car, you're blind, though the truck drivers that are two feet taller can see just fine. <laughs> except they can't see the car. So it's a very hazardous uh, driving situation. But Thule fog, it's not here as much. Mm. Not here as much at all. 
And I know you haven't lived here for a while, so you probably thought it was normal here still. I did. I haven't lived in uh, Davis for about 25 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell me about some of your firsts. Now, you, you went on a few trips and things like that, but when did you see you know, some of your first ones? Let's talk about some of those in the 90s. I know you had a couple of real good ones. Yes, yes. I remember um, in the 90s, I went to um, the Mojave Desert for the first time, hmm. uh, and we had gotten out of the car and we saw a bird just in a cactus plant of some sort didn't even identify what kind of cactus or what it was i was totally new to desert um, uh, flora as well as the fauna and uh, i looked at this bird and it was it was larger than a robin uh, not as big as a crow but a fairly large bird and it was behaving like a wren with the t the tail uh, flicking um, up and down, and lo and behold, I got my bird book out and looked it up, and it was a cactus wren, which I believe is the largest wren in uh, Northern America or in the U.S. It's it is it's huge. It's huge compared to all the other wrens that are little yeah. four or five inch birds. This was yeah. really big. That was really, really fun mm -hmm. um, to see that. I also went to a um, a local valley near Davis and saw my first another bird with a crest, all black, a fenapepola. Phanopepla are one of my favorites, and he and she look different. It's very interesting. I only saw one birds. Phanopepla have crests, and so it's really easy to tell to see, tell what they are. Yes, very good. <laughs> so you lived here into the 90s, and then you worked here for a long time. And I remember you taking trips, going everywhere. Um, that seemed to be the thing you did was go on trips. So what kind of trips were you going on? And, and tell me about some. Well, the first trip I actually took and did some serious bird watching out of the area that I had grown up in was going to Alaska and did a cruise in the Inside Passage. It was a one week and I met the naturalist who was on the cruise ship. And I just kind of, whenever she was doing anything having to do with nature, I was always there. I just kind of was her little shadow. I wanted to learn from her about Alaskan birds. And believe it or not, I had not seen a bald eagle until I went to Alaska. And it's funny, some of the birds that we actually have in my native area where I've grown up and live in Northern California, I have not seen until I go outside of the area. So seeing my first bald eagle and remembering that one of my adventures off of the cruise, I got into a plane and six people in a, in a little pontoon plane. And we were above the soaring eagles. And that was just the coolest thing to see these bald eagles from above. It just was magical. 
And I saw my first kitty wake, a black-legged kitty wake. Kitty wake? As in wake up little kitten? Well, yes. That's how it's pronounced? Kitty wake? That's my understanding. K-I-T-T-I-W-A-K-E. That's how it's spelled. What kind of a bird is it? Is it like a gull? More like a gull or in terms of the shape. Did you see them flying or were they floating in the water or were they walking on the shore? They were flying. They were flying. We saw them, yes. And the naturalist identified it for us as a, a kittiwake. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to have to go look for those kittiwakes then. You said Alaska, huh? Yeah. I don't know. It's just too cold in December to go to Alaska. Just too cold. Yeah. <laughs> well, we happened to go in September. And when I was doing some of this bird watching on the uh, the bow of the the liner, the, mm-hmm. we had long underwear on and <laughs> and three sweaters and a parka and scarf and hat. And yeah, even September's pretty cold in Alaska. <laughs> well, that was in 2006. And then didn't you go to Costa Rica in that same year? I did. I went there. It was amazing. I had this phenomenal opportunity to go to Costa Rica in the summer. And a birding friend of mine in Sonoma County and I planned this trip. And then the Alaska trip ended up being a a bonus that I got Mm -hmm. invited by a cousin and went with my cousin and my mom. So that was not expected. So I did go to Costa Rica and that was a birding trip. We went to seabirds. So where we chose to stay, we did um, were places where there were lots of nature tours, birding tours, naturalists on staff, that sort of things. I saw 48 new bird species. (laughs) Well, you were a beginner. So the fact that that's 48 new species, that's, but then of course you were in a place you've never been. So you weren't wearing long underwear in Costa Rica, were you? Oh no, we were protecting ourselves from the sun and sweating. Jungle, ocean, we were on the water, we were in the jungle, we were in by the volcano. Yeah, lots of lots of different environments mm-hmm. for lots of different birds, but none of it was chilly. So what were some of your highlights on that one? Staying at a like a national park that had little cabins for people to rent, and we opened up the the shades the first morning and out there on the little concrete patio right outside our window was a scarlet rumped tanager. This is the brightest red color bird that you can ever imagine. And it was right there, just just (laughs) waiting for me to see it, waiting for my friend to see it. And oh my heavens, that was just so exciting. That was the beginning of our trip because by the time we flew in and uh, were driven up to our lodging, it was dark. So Mm -hmm. we couldn't see anything on our way into. So it was like we arrived in the dark the next morning, bright sunshine, and this bird was there. Go out our door and you can hear all of the birds in the lush trees. It was just 
amazing. You went to a couple of different places in Costa Rica, right? We did. The first location we were at was at Arenal Volcano, which is in the north. And we took a river tour on the, the Rio Frio River. And there were only six people on the boat. Wow. And two naturalists. Wow. And two of us were bird watchers. So they catered to us completely. And on that trip alone, we saw 30 of my 48 new birds. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, so is Rio Frio in a jungle or is the whole place jungle? Or is it not? It was, um, it was not, well, we were, we were on the river. It was very lush. And, but we never got out of the boat. Mm -hmm. um, but there was some farmland. There were some areas that would be jungly um, and other areas that were just uh, well-treed, a lot of mm -hmm. trees, grassland. Um, and actually, we did uh, get out of the boat and had a picnic. And that was like a park setting with lots of trees. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of different vegetation uh, to attract various birds <laughs> and some of the birds that I saw we've many of us who are bird watchers have seen lots of herons in <laughs> our experience in our local areas I saw a tiger heron um, which I had never seen and that was really exciting um, I had seen kingfishers in my local area in Northern California, but I had never seen the Amazon, the green or the ringed kingfishers. And I saw all three of those on that trip. That was a huge thrill. Um, lots of tanagers. I had seen that scarlet rumped tanager that first morning, but I got two more tanagers on that river trip, the golden hooded, and the blue-gray tanagers. Just, and, and you can imagine from some of the names that mm -hmm. these are brightly colored birds that are just so beautiful um, to, to see and so striking. And they also stand out in the vegetation that is typically green if you're going to see different colors. Of course, seeing the green kingfisher you is green would blend in more, but they still have some markings that are unique that are not green. And uh, so then you look for the shape of the bird and that, um, and the bill, and then you can identify, but it was just, that was, that was wonderful. That was a wonderful trip. And we saw a couple um, uh, mammals too on that trip. So if, people listening would be at all interested in going and experiencing uh, a nature trip. Going to Costa Rica is a place where you wouldn't just be going for birds. There are lots of animals, uh, reptiles, lizards, snakes, 
what and and the birds, whatever you might be interested in. There are and so plants, many. lots of oh, plants. And oh, plants are just amazing. They're just amazing. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. What is the? You said there was a. Kuru Reserve, when we were talking about before, is that at Rio Frio or is that elsewhere? No, that is um, an island. It's on an island that we had to take a motorboat from where from from where we were staying um, to actually get to that reserve, and that's where I was truly in a jungle. We motorboated in and. Uh, had to get into the water and slosh our way up to the sandy beach. And then we started our hike with a tour guide um, who was very, very well-versed in the, the, the flora, the fauna, very, very well-versed. And the first experience that I have, a little diversion from birds, that the first experience was similar to the whistling swan experience of just being magical is we had been walking for maybe 20 minutes and we got to uh, a mango grove and we looked up and there was a family of probably 30 capuchin white-faced monkeys (laughs) and there were mamas and papas and babies um on on the mama's backs, um, young adults, um, like teenage monkeys, would come out to the end of some of the tree limbs because they were curious about us humans, what we were doing. They'd come out and all of a sudden the tree limb would swing down uh, from the weight of their body and they'd be swinging on um, these tree limbs at the end of the branches. And that was just magical. We were there for bird watching, but the two of us with our guide were so entranced by this. We we stood and watched them for probably 15 or 20 minutes. It was just it was just magical again. I keep using that word, but when you go to some of these beautiful places in the world that have flora and fauna that are so different from where you live on a day-to-day place, you feel like you're in a different land, you know, magical place. That was terrific. What did you see there? I mean, you said you got a whole lot of new birds when on this whole trip. What was uh, at that Kuru Reserve? Yes, at the Kuru Reserve, I saw another heron, the boat-billed heron. Oh, I've seen pictures of that. That's an astonishing-looking bird. It is. It is. So now... In Costa Rica alone, I think I've gotten four more herons to my list, and all striking, all strikingly different herons. The bird that I think got my most attention was after that mango grove, we kept walking and came to a pasture area and then walked through a pasture area into more, not a jungle area, but more treed. And there, the guide pointed out that there was a motmot in the tree there. And we, of course, got our binoculars, spied on it. And this was the turquoise browed motmot. 
we stayed there for probably 10 minutes watching this bird. And this bird was amazing that it, it just, it turned to the right, it turned to the left, it let us see the profile, it let us see the it, back, its tail. The tail is so long with little tiny feathers at the end, getting a picture, looking up a picture of a turquoise browed motmot will just thrill you. Uh, it sounds like you had a real performer there sitting in front of you. We were well entertained. Yes, yeah. well, well entertained. Those were the two most striking birds from that mm -hmm. trip. We also saw some uh, red forehead and orange chinned parakeets, mm -hmm. which, you know, seen, I had only seen parakeets in you know, people's homes or in a pet store. So to see parakeets in the wild and brightly colored, beautiful, was a real thrill. Okay. All right. So moving on, you went to something else when you were in Costa Rica, didn't you? Oh, we were, we stayed at the Tangomar um, Beachfront Hotel and Spa, which sounds very very commercial but it it wasn't it was run by a couple it was lovely little cabanas that we stayed in and there I saw my first Rufus Nate wren so we see another wren another wren we yeah. see we have wrens that we live with but this was a beautiful wren a cinnamon hummingbird Ooh. we we live with hummingbirds, but when you see a new species of hummingbird, it is, it's just, again, it's a real thrill to mm -hmm. see. Um, and a lot of the thrill is in the identifying, knowing when you're looking at it in your binoculars, of course, that's a wren. You know the wren. Uh, I've gotten to learn the size, the behavior, the shape of a, of, um, a wren or of a hummingbird. But then to identify which hummingbird it is, a great part of the fun. We saw Hoffman's woodpecker when we were just walking around one morning. I think it was like 745 and it was 80 degrees temperature and 85% humidity. But I was just completely determined to see some birds. And we also saw another magpie, a blue jay magpie. So after you left Tango Mar, was that the end of the trip? You just came home or did you stop places on the way? That was the end of that trip. Okay, so you did that, you came home. How long were you able to withhold the, the uh, tripness? <laughs> How long did it take you before you were off on another trip? This was 2006. I then went to Alaska in the fall mm -hmm. of 2006. Then in 2007, I had a wonderful opportunity to visit a cousin up in the Portland, Oregon, Vancouver, mm -hmm. Washington area. And I was there for another 10 days, I believe. And that was not specifically a birding trip, but the cousin I was staying with also was a birder so she and I did some birding we also did the regular sightseeing touring areas but we drove up Mount Hood to the visitor center just to experience the park 
and the beauty of the area. We got out of the car and I walked up to the vis visitor's center and there was a bird in an old dead tree, a bird I had never seen the shape of, I'd never seen. And I was thinking, okay, this isn't a woodpecker and this isn't a jay. And what is this bird? It was grayish and it was large, but not as big as a crow, but larger than a robin. And so what was this bird? Mm -hmm. And I spent, I don't know how long, I spent probably 10 or 15 minutes looking through my bird book, coming up with various ideas. And I narrowed it down just by, because I had to keep looking at the bird to say, mm -hmm. I needed to know what did the bill look like and what were any um, striking uh, mm -hmm. markings on the bird? Were there any stripes on the wings or any bars on the What color tail? was the legs and... Exactly, yeah. all yeah. of those details. I really, so I kept looking at the bird because I was also fascinated not having ever seen that. So a lot of the time was just, just being entranced by seeing the bird. And I finally was able to identify it as a Clark's nutcracker. That's a Corvid. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that was in that family of yeah. birds. But it was the first nutcracker I had ever seen. And mm -hmm. I was just completely, again, thrilled. <laughs> they are uh, quite common around Crater Lake. If anyone is is up there around Crater Lake, just look for them because they're they're there. They're not quite as noisy as the stellar jay or the scrub jay, but uh, but they're looking for acorns and they're doing jay stuff, even though they're called nutcrackers. Now you know what the nutcracker is, right? I do. So you went from Portland up the Columbia River and to Mount Hood, is that, is, did I get that right? Yes, yes. And there were a couple day trips that we took. So one was specifically just for the Columbia River Gorge. Mm -hmm. And another was for the Mount Hood Drive. But during the Columbia River Gorge day trip, we stopped at the Bridal Veil Falls picnic area. And I saw a bird that looked like a woodpecker, but wasn't quite like any woodpecker I had seen, but looked like a woodpecker. I had studied enough my bird book to know about sapsuckers. So I immediately went to look at sapsuckers in my bird book for identification. After looking at this and studying the different colors, I identified it as a yellow-bellied Pacific Slope Race Sapsucker, which is very interesting. It was such a fun challenge because the Pacific Race, and for those people who are birders, they'll know that you can have the same named bird, but there are like regional differences. And this was specifically in my bird book listed as the Pacific Slope Race. So it was just a little bit different. 
So were you still using the Peterson field guide that your dad had given you, or have you by this time gotten a few more bird books? I have definitely gotten a few more bird books. <laughs> and for many years, I used the National Geographic Western Guide to North American Birds. And Is that one that has drawings or has photos? That has photos. I really like Sibley's because I like the drawings and I like the fact that they give you things like the Pacific Slope race mm -hmm. versus the other. And I also graduated from the National Geographic to the Sibley's and the Sibley's is what I currently use. And that is a wonderful for identification and education. Yeah. Like you said, I like it very much. Yeah. So some of these trips have been just you looking at a bird and trying to figure it out from a book. And other trips have been, you've been around people who have an expert with them. So they're a naturalist or an expert birder or something that can go, oh yeah, well on that bird, you want to look for the color of the lures and the this and the that. Do you have a preference as to whether you're with someone who can point out what you should be observing or, or that you do it on your own? When I'm in a brand new place and there are so many new things, I really like having somebody who can educate me, point things out, and then I put that into my bird stock of knowledge because anything you learn from a naturalist about what to look for, you can then apply it to your mm -hmm. own backyard birding. You know, if you're trying to identify what something is, you can look at the bill, the leg colors, the different markings on the chest or the belly mm -hmm. versus the back. The so, proportions of the head to the tail, to the wings, to the, yeah. Exactly. So I have learned a lot from uh, naturalists by listening to them talk and they also, the advantage of going with a, a naturalist or a birding expert in that area, wherever you happen to be birding, is they'll be able to see things and point it out, whereas you may not be able to see it right away. But the longer, I've noticed that the longer that I've birdwatched, I am now able to see birds that other people don't even know are in the trees because you learn how to focus your your hearing and your sight into finding that bird there's still lots of birds that elude you because they're secretive or they're in the back of the tree you can hear them but they're in the back of the tree and you can't get across the creek to go to the other side of the tree you know that sort of thing yeah. I think for beginners, or not even beginners, but people who are still trying to look for tips and tricks, one of the things that I am a big, big advocate of is getting binoculars which have a fine enough control on the focus that I, let's say there's a bush in front of me, I can focus on the front leaf and then by turning my binocular focus, I can scan that entire bush, you know, everything comes into focus and goes out of focus as you're, as you're going backwards. But I can look at every single plane of that bush. Mm 
because my focus on my binoculars is really good. And therefore, I can find a bird that might be two-thirds of the way into the bush, but when you're focused only on it and the, the leaves in front and behind are blurry, well, you can see the bird. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that I think a lot of people just assume that if they've got binoculars, they're seeing the same thing you are. That is not necessarily the case. Do you have a favorite brand that has served you well over your yes, years? Yes, I, I use a pair called Bausch & Loam. And when I was selecting binoculars many years ago, I went to the local bird store in Sacramento where they have lots of binoculars. And I stood at the front of the store and looked with each pair and I looked out the front window to the parking lot. And so I thought, could I focus on the bumper of the car parked right in front of us? Could I get that close? Yes. Okay. Can I focus all the way back to the horizon? Is that clear and distinct? Yes. And then how detailed is that shift of focus? You know, I don't want it to be just here or back there. I want to get every single inch in between. And that's why you have that little, little rolling button at the top to do it. So I tested every set of binoculars that looked even possible. And the Bausch & Lohm had a good short focus so that when I'm sitting here in my house and there's birds on the on the back patio off the back window, I, I can see them. And I can go to that bush and I can see every inch all the way from the front, all the way to the back. And boy, you know, it, it really makes a difference. So I really like the Bausch and Lomb. When I took a trip and I accidentally left them home and I went to a hunting store, huge place, had lots and lots of stuff. They didn't have that brand. And so I ended up getting a Nikon and it's good. It's, I still prefer my Bausch and Lomb, but that part of that has to do with the shape of the binoculars compared to the shape of my face. Anyway, yeah, there's lots of good binoculars out there. Just make sure that you can go from the front of the bush to the back of the bush, inch by inch. Well, let's get back to your your trips. You've done so many. What's What would you like to tell us about next? Well, another really highlight of my birding life so far was in 2010, I got to Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands. That was a birding trip of a lifetime. And also for the natural world, the wonder of the world to see the Galapagos Islands. And again, I went with my birding friend who I went to Costa Rica with. So the two of us were there specifically for birds. We were on a small boat that only had 20 people, two naturalists. One of the naturalists was a birding expert. And so we always got on the trips with her, the day trips with her, so we could ask her questions and pick her vein for lots and lots of ideas and skills to increase our skill for bird watching and bird identification. The highlight, I have to admit, was to see a blue-footed booby. I just, I had it in my mind that that's what I wanted, the one bird that I wanted to see. Well, 
the Galapagos Islands does not disappoint. I saw 30 new species on that, again, 10 day trip. I think it was one, it was uh, seven days um, in the islands, cruising to seven different islands. But the blue-footed booby was just an amazing sight. If you've ever been to the Galapagos Islands, there are some, some rules that you have. You do not do anything to interact with any of the wildlife or the bird life, but they are not afraid of human beings. So you can get very close to them, but you are not allowed to do any interaction. You're not allowed to get off of a pathway, but if the bird is on the path, you can walk past it, but you don't go off of a path. Well, my experience was as we were walking on the pathway, there were several blue-footed boobies ahead of us, and one was right on the path. Because it was on the pathway, I was able to kneel down next to it, not, not cozy up to it, but just next to it. And my friend got a photo of me with the blue-footed booby. And that was the highlight of my trip, to be able to see that. Your celebrity photo. Celebrity, that's right. That's right. My star. I got to be photographed with my star. When you go and do these things, do you take a lot of pictures? I take pictures for memory, memory books. So I make up a photo album and I write a journal of all of the things that I've done during the day. So every night I will write a journal of what we did, what we saw. And that's how from 2006, I have a list of the birds. I can't remember every single bird, but I have my journal and I've made a photo album of the Costa Rica trip. I've made a photo album of the Galapagos trip. So I have my notes and I have pictures. They aren't photographer quality pictures, but for me, they are perfect. They are snapshots which, which retrieve memories. Exactly, exactly. And every once in a while, I will get a stunning picture of an environment and it's just the right composition. But my focus when I'm on these trips is not spending a lot of time on the photo composition, but to get the photos for my memory book. And I, I am just delighted to have pictures of, of the blue-footed booby. And we saw a pair of, of blue-footed boobies in their mating dance. And we saw the other um, boobies. We saw the Nazca booby. We saw the red-footed booby. Different islands have different bird populations. And that was wonderful fun to see the different environments that are host and home to the different species of birds. Did you, did you find that the islands are close enough together that a, a bird might fly from one to another? So 
you'd have the same species on two islands next to each other, or are these hundreds of miles apart? I, I'm not familiar with the Galapagos. They are not hundreds of miles apart. We would boat at night from one island to the next, but that would be a good thing to look up is what the distance is between. And of mm -hmm. course, birds fly, but we didn't we didn't necessarily see all three booby species on all of the islands. A lot of it is environment based, but some islands we would see two kinds of the birds. Mm -hmm. So that would be an interesting thing to look into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How much research do you do before you go there? In other words, you're planning to go to the Galapagos Islands. So do you like immerse yourself in the history and the geography and the whatever? Or or do you just show up and listen to the naturalist? In the case of the Galapagos, I read several books about the the uh, geology and um, I, the origin of species, I read uh, Darwin's book, doing it so that I could have some basic knowledge of the Galapagos because I knew this was going to be a once in a lifetime experience. And I wanted to have some knowledge before I walked in to mm -hmm. the environments. And, and yet, when we were there, there was so much more that's why the naturalists were so important for this trip to learn about the detailed differences between the different islands mm -hmm. and some of the birds that were there so i do like to do some study costa rica i i think i got um, a bird book of costa rican bird mm -hmm. uh, uh, for bird identification um but I didn't study a lot uh, before that, um, so it kind of it kind of depends on mm -hmm. where I'm going. Um, well, sometimes you're going specifically to see a bird, or sometimes you're going to go visit your cousin, and sometimes you go on trips. Now I remember you talking about a bicycling through Germany trip or something like that. It has nothing to do with birds, but I imagine while you were there, you might have seen a bird or two. This is true. It was a trip that just took with that same cousin from the Mount Hood um, mm -hmm. experience. And we were in Bavaria. I took, I borrowed a bicycle from the little uh, inn that we were staying in and rode around and was riding along a little river with lots and lots of shrubs. And again, when you've been bird watching a long time, you start to hear new sounds. So I was hearing something and I knew there were birds in the shrubs and I got my binoculars out and I saw my very first blue tit, which is a bird that is not in the United States mm -hmm. anywhere. But it's this very, very common over in Europe. It's very common there. I've seen it in, I've also seen it in other places in um, England as well. Uh, but that was, that was such fun to see that. So 
that whole two week trip to uh, Germany um, and Austria, I only got maybe two or three new birds, but they were really, really good additions and striking and big thrills for me to get those few. But that trip was more about the, the history and the museums and uh, driving through the Alps and uh, yeah. that sort of thing. But that was the real thrill. So back in 2017, I was going to go to Texas and I invited Elizabeth to see if she wanted to come and join us because we've got this timeshare thing. And so we went and she joined us for the first week. And tell me about how what you saw and how you liked that trip. That was a very interesting trip. It was the, the base of the Rio Grande River. Yes, and it was in January when we expected it was going to be moderate weather. And it turned out that we had an Arctic blast and it snowed and not where we were, but it was icy cold. Uh, um, but we did we, every day we did the bird watching and I saw 115 different species, not all new, but different species in that seven day trip. And that was absolutely amazing. Every day we went to a new place. And um, again, similar to the Galapagos Islands, there were all very different environments and all within a drive, an mm -hmm. easy drive. And, but very different environments, um, habitats, so very different birds that we could see. Um, there were some of the first for me that I had never seen was the white ibis. That was a beautiful bird to see. Um, right where we were uh, staying at the, the timeshare, black-bellied whistling ducks. They were striking. I, had, I never knew that there was a black-bellied whistling duck. Um, a kiskadi. Mm -hmm. the, that was one of my favorites to oh, see was that kiskadi yeah. kiskadi just beautiful and I saw new herons the tricolored heron the red heron was it called the red heron mm -mm. reddish reddish the reddish heron yeah um just just amazing amazing things so some of the environments were wooded, very wooded. Others were right on the water. Uh, others were kind of just in a in town or in just a, a park area. Yeah, and we saw my favorite jay. It's the green jay. It is such a strikingly colored bird. I mean, look it up. You got to look it up. It's just impressive bird it yeah. is very impressive and was a thrill for me to see my first green jay uh, there were a number of places that we went which were uh, state parks and the state of texas have figured out that birders are really good eco visitors <laughs> and so they have made some of their parks be really well designed with lovely walking trails and and they have daily bird walks with with 
naturalists, well, not even necessarily naturalists, just volunteers coming and showing you what was what's out there. And so it is a marvelous place to go and go birding. And as you say, just so many, so many, so many, so many, so many species. Yeah. I totally second that, that it is, if you can't get to out of the country uh, to do a birding trip, that go to Brownsville. Yep. Absolutely. A yeah. phenomenal place to see a myriad of new birds mm -hmm. uh, because there are a lot of the southern um, birds that migrate through. <laughs> they either come from the north and migrate through or are coming up from the south and hang out there. And then there's all those birds that they're in Mexico, but they're not in the United States. But, you know, the Rio Grande River, it's just a little river. And so, of course, the birds are going to be on both sides. So you can find places where there are just, uh, you know, maybe a mile of overlap into the U.S., are these Mexican birds? And it's like, all oh, right. Yeah. So, well, we had a really good time when we went there. And I wish we would do something again. Maybe we will. But we have come to the end of our hour here talking. And we haven't even finished all of the trips that you've been on. So I thank you for sharing with us. And uh, why don't you tell me what your plans are for your next birding trip? I am not sure what that trip is going to be. Well, you could come to Davis. We've got some really nice birding areas up here. <laughs> this is true. And I'm sure that there are new birding areas that I have not experienced up there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you listeners for joining us today. You have been listening to That's Life with Lois Richter and Elizabeth Gould, my friend. And we are on KDRT LP 95.7, Davis, California.